This is Nuclear Explained. Welcome to Nuclear Explained. In our last episode, we introduced the basics of nuclear reactors and nuclear power. And in this episode, we are going beyond the basics. I am Miklos Gaspar. I'm Joanne Liu. In this episode of Nuclear Explained, you will learn about advanced nuclear reactors. This includes small modular reactors, also known as SMRs. Like many technologies, such as cars, computers, and mobile phones, nuclear reactors are constantly evolving. In our last episode, we learned that nuclear reactors have been operating since the 1950s. Nuclear reactors have evolved over time, but the production of low-carbon electricity through the fission process has remained constant. First, Helmuth Beck returns to the podcast to give an overview of advanced reactors. Helmuth is a retired professor from the Technical University of Vienna. Now that we know how a nuclear reactor works, let's find out what makes a nuclear reactor advanced. At every generation, the installed power level increased. Generation 2 had around 6 to 800 megawatt electric. Um, generation 3, about 1,000 megawatt or above. Uh, generation 3 plus is around 1,600 megawatt. Uh, generation 3 and 3 plus, they have major improvements against uh, Generation 2. For instance, the containment is strong, strong enough to withstand an airplane crash. Um, the containment is also gas tight in case of a release of radioactivity in the containment. There is no release to the outside environment. Uh, the Atomic, International Atomic Energy Agency further categorizes advanced reactors between evolutionary and innovative reactor designs. Evolutionary designs like Generation 3, they improve on existing designs through small or moderate modifications while maintaining proven features. Innovative designs like Generation 4 they incorporate bigger changes in the use of materials, fuels, operating environment, and systems. Some examples include high-temperature gas reactors and molten salt reactors. Can you go into a little bit more detail about nuclear fuel, which is managed as a waste in many countries? Because that is a point of contention when it comes to nuclear power. How are these advanced reactors different? Nuclear waste is created in, in, the, in the fuel elements after consumption. Normally, let's say 30, 40 years ago, nuclear power plants uh, had to uh, re replace the fuel elements approximately every 12 months. Nowadays, there is a fuel cycle of about 18 months to 24 months. So um, you uh, try to reach a better consumption of the uranium. Uh, higher burn-up uh, and um, uh, the remaining uh, uh, radio radioactivity in the fuel elements is composed of fission products and of transuranic elements. So which advanced reactors are deployed today? One type of advanced reactors is the EPR, which just started in Finland this year. The EPR reactors have a designed power of 1600 megawatt electric, which is very high. Four reactors are building by the Emirates uh, uh, are delivered by Korea. They are also pressurized water reactors, 
with a slightly less power level of, of about 1400 megawatt electric. Uh, there are further reactors, advanced reactors, like um, a Russian reactor called the Mir-1200 or the AP-1000, which is under construction both in the US and which are already operating in China. The China's Hualong-1 reactor is also operating in China and in Pakistan. Most of these advanced reactors are pressurized water reactors. Overall, there are 32 countries that operate nuclear power plants and about 30 countries that are considering, planning, or starting nuclear power programs. I asked Helmuth, could these types of advanced reactors pose as a lower technological barrier to entry? Actually, this advanced uh, uh, reactors I mentioned are of um, quite high power level, but um, there is uh, an, an, another type of reactor under planning and preparation now, which, which are called small modular reactors. The target of this development of these small modular reactors are exactly countries which cannot host large reactor blocks due that the electricity network is limited. You're listening to Nuclear Explained. Advanced reactors extend beyond traditional reactors. They are more cost-effective, more efficient in generating low-carbon electricity, and produce less waste. As Halbert mentioned, small modular reactors, or SMRs, will provide even greater access to affordable, reliable, clean energy. There are more than 70 SMR designs under development around the world. Joining us from Argentina, Julian tells us more about SMRs. I am Julian Galano. I'm representing a civil society NGO, Argentina Global. And in the past, I was uh, the deputy secretary of nuclear energy of my country, Argentina, and uh, president of the board of directors of Nuclear Electrica, which is the nuclear operator uh, of the three nuclear power plants that we have in our country. There has been a lot of talk about SMRs, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to nuclear climate change, That's and right. it's kind of being touted as a, a solution to some of our challenges in nuclear and to fight climate change. But what are SMRs? Well, SMRs, as the name says, are small and modular reactors. So the important the importance here is to understand what small and modular means. Small means, means less than 300 electric megawatts uh, power. And this, the important thing here, this means small size of the engine, small smaller footprints. That That's the first definition. We are talking about small engines that um, are giving us the possibility to deploy uh, nuclear energy in a different way, much smaller than classic, than large reactors. And in the second term, the modular part. That means that you can put more than one reactors in line, may up to 10, 15. The modularity gives nuclear technology, nuclear reactor, the possibility of being much more flexible in terms of the operation. And do SMRs use the same science and technology as our nuclear power plants today? Yeah. In fact, in my opinion, any, any new SMR is really new. 
what they are doing is taking existing technologies, other different technologies, created many years ago, many decades ago, and what are they doing? They are modernizing, you know, the, the, the electronics, the technology, maybe the the operation system, but, you know, at the end of the day, is the same technology. Our, our technology is already proven and reducing the size. The innovation there is the, the size and the modularity. Another point of um, conversation when it comes to SMRs is cost. Cost is a major um, point of debate when it comes to nuclear. And so while SMRs do provide lower upfront capital costs, it also provides much less power. So this seems kind of contradictory to yeah. what when we think about the cost of electricity. Uh, yeah, very, very good question. Um, the fact is that nuclear energy energy became expensive. So we have a problem there. The industry has a problem there. Um, how to deal with that? Well, becoming less expensive again. So SMRs claim uh, themselves as part of a solution because they claim that are uh, more competitive, less expensive and that. But your question is very good. With this less capital expenditure, obtain less electricity. So apparently the solution is not there, but in the business model, where the, the cost of effectiveness is located in the serial product production, copying the aviation industry. The secret is not located in the technology which at the, as the, uh, at the end of the day is the same technology that large reactors, nuclear fission. The secret is located in, uh, in the business model, which is totally different. Beyond nuclear power production, what else can SMRs be used for? We hear about non-electric applications. What are those applications? The fact is that when we talk about other, uh, you know, different benefits from nuclear reactors, we are talking about that benefits beyond el energy or electricity generation. Because the first you know, objective of having a nuclear reactor in your country, in your city or wherever, is to have electricity, energy. But the fact is that reactors can give you uh, other benefits, such as, for example, desalinization of water from the sea in order to transform that water able to be consumed by humans. This is a necessity that many countries has. For example, um, you know, countries in the Gulf, uh, Emirates, Saudi Arabia, many countries. The small reactors using the same technology has the possibility of for you to design or for who will take the decision to design the exact amount of desalination you will need. This is one clear advantage. Another good example is the production of hydrogen, of green hydrogen from water if you need hydrogen to provide to a small facility or a small city and the, again using small modular reactors you can decide you can design the exact amount of hydrogen you will obtain in a particular operation so this is again the difference is located not in the technology which, which has at, at, at the end of the day is the same but in the business model so we've heard a lot about the benefits and the advantages that SMRs could provide. Yeah. But when can we actually see them deployed and actually commercialized? I think that uh, this, I mean, should happen this decade. I am really optimistic on that because I'm following a lot of projects and I think they could finally offer electricity 
at prices less than $50 the megawatt electric, and this is a very good price, not only the US, but uh, you know, all over the world. But this still should be demonstrated. Mm -hmm. A couple of projects in the US, mm -hmm. in China, in Russia. Well, we have one in Argentina, pro uh, reactors under construction, near of finishing the construction and starting operation. Near or not so near, but you know, moving forward. You're listening to Nuclear Explained. Before any nuclear reactor begins operation, it must go through a comprehensive licensing process to ensure safety. Each country has its own regulatory and licensing system. In this last segment, Miklos speaks with Anna Bradford. She was the director of new and renewed licenses at the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission and is now the director of nuclear installation safety at the IAEA. Hello, Anna, and welcome. What are the main differences between innovative reactors and current technologies from a safety perspective? From a safety perspective, there are quite a lot of differences. The newer reactors, whether they're small modular reactors or the larger ones, take advantage of everything that the industry has learned in the operation of the nuclear power plants for the last 50 years. I do want to be clear to say that the, the current nuclear power reactors in general are safe. But what these new designs do, like I said, is use everything we've learned, of whether it's changes in design, changes in regulation, new models on the computer that we can use to determine, for example, impacts if there's a radioactive release. All that knowledge has been applied to these types of designs. So a specific example of a difference in safety would be the requirement for off-site power. Pretty much every reactor that I know of right now that's operating requires some off-site electrical power to come onto the site and power the reactor. If they lose that power for more than 24 hours, 72 hours, depending on the design, it can be dangerous for the reactor because they can't keep the fuel cool anymore. Many of these new designs can go much longer without that off-site power. They are what some of the designers call self-cooling. They do not need electrical power to cool. They can just sit there and cool off on their own. So before a reactor can be commissioned, there's a licensing process. Yes. So what's involved? How is it different, the licensing process for these type of reactors? Advanced reactors, including SMRs, compared to the reactors we have in operation today? In my experience, the biggest difference is that it requires a mindset change for the regulator and for the uh, company that's applying for the license. So the regulator and industry are used to dealing with these reactors that have been around for 40 years. That's what they're used to, these large light water, mostly cooled reactors. And so now when this new design comes in that looks very different than something you've seen before, it does require the regulator or the agency to stop and think about how do my existing regulations apply? Are they appropriate for this design? Are they perhaps, I would say, overkill for this design? Maybe it's not needed. Or maybe there's a new type of regulation that you don't even have on the books that needs to be developed for this type of design. So it really, you really do have to stop and put on your thinking cap and decide what is it you're trying to achieve and is going about it the same way, the appropriate way to reach those high levels of safety or is there a different way you can and should do it? In my mind, that's the biggest difference for licensing. You are saying there would also need to be possibly new legislation or new regulations in place. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that would come just the process of licensing 
which we know for the existing nuclear power plants often takes years. Yeah. So how long is it before realistically any of this can be achieved? I know from my experience that once the design process is pretty far along and that company is interacting with the regulator, it can take three years, four years, something like that, to get approval for that design. I will say, though, that usually the first one is the hardest, that first-of-a-kind design where the regulator and the industry is going through that mindset change. I think the ones that follow after that first one, it will be a little faster because of the lessons learned from the first one. So how is the IEA helping with this? For SMRs, we've been busy already for several years. We have the SMR Regulators Forum, which has been in place since about 2015, and that forum has regulators from, I think it's up to 10 or 11 member states now, that meet twice a year and talk about issues where they want to share experience, share ideas, share difficulties. Hey, we're having a problem with this. How are you addressing it? We've also, over the last um, year, year and a half, have been reviewing all of our safety standards to see if they apply to SMRs, and if not, what is it that needs to be addressed so that they can help member states apply those same levels of safety to these SMRs. What we found for the most part is the safety standards as written apply. Many of them are written in such a technology-neutral language that they still apply even for small modular reactors. What we found is that um, there might be some, we've been calling them gaps, that need to be addressed, but most of them are not major. So the final report for that will be issued later this year, so it will lay out everything we found and what we think we need to do. What's an example of the kind of regulation, perhaps, that's needed for SMRs? And what's an example for the kind of generic principles that you say would apply regardless of the technology? I will give you an example of generic language and then why it might be a challenge for new types of reactors. So, of course, instance of fire is bad at a nuclear power plant. For a water-cooled nuclear power plant, <clears throat> you would say, okay, in order to address the possibility of fire, you want sprinklers, you want fire extinguishers, you want to be able to dump a lot of water on that fire. When you look at sodium-cooled reactors, which have liquid sodium coolant, putting water on that sodium actually causes a fire. So you actually want to keep water away from that material. So although the general principle is prevent fire at your facility, how you would go about it is very different. And that's kind of the difference in standards that I'm talking about. The safety standard would tell you your goal or what it is you're trying to accomplish, but the way you accomplish it might need to be very different for these designs. So you said earlier that some of these designs, at least for advanced reactors, are safer or perhaps what we sometimes say are inherently safe technologies. So as a layperson, I wouldn't think that perhaps some of the safety standards are an overkill for something that's inherently safer. So isn't that an issue with regulation and licensing, that perhaps things are overregulated? It depends which specific area you're talking about. So to go back to that fire example, I would think you would want new requirements for how water is used around a um, sodium-cooled reactor, right? So that's a difference where perhaps our, perhaps our safety standards are not overkill. In fact, there's actually maybe there's a gap where we have not said something. The overkill, a specific example, could be um, emergency planning zone sizes. I'm from the U.S., the regulator there in the U.S., and for us in general, for large operating nuclear reactors, the emergency planning zone size where you have to make plans in case you have to evacuate or something like that is 10 miles or about 16 kilometers. 
But for these reactors that have much smaller cores and a much smaller amount of radioactive material that can be released, it looks like it could be very difficult to reach high doses anywhere near that 16 kilometers. So that would mean if we stuck with the requirement of 10 miles or 5 miles or 10 kilometers or whatever each country uses, that might be too much for the amount of material that could be released from these new types of reactors. That's what I mean by overkill. At the end of the day, it's up to each country to regulate the operation of their nuclear power plants. Over the last two episodes, we have learned how a nuclear reactor generates electricity, the challenges to deploy nuclear, and what the future of nuclear may look like. Advanced and small modular reactors could play a critical role to achieve global climate goals and energy security. Beyond the power sector, nuclear is making an impact in many other areas of our lives, including our safety at home. Fun fact, if you have a smoke detector at home, it likely has radioactive material that originated in nuclear reactors. We hope that you have enjoyed today's show. Subscribe to Nuclear Explained to learn more about the world of nuclear and how nuclear is integrated in our daily lives. Thanks for listening to Nuclear Explained. Go to iaea.org forward slash podcasts for more information and resources related to this episode and more. Have a question or want to share feedback? Send us a voice recording or write to us at nuclearexplained at iaea.org. I'm Joanne Liu. And I am Miklos Gaspar. Thanks for joining us. You have been listening to Nuclear Explained.